0: As we continue our study through this precious gospel, we find ourselves looking at verses 11 through 26 today. Page 1419, if you're using the church Bibles here, page 1419, Matthew 11, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, verses 11 through 26. Uh, To be honest with you, I feel I'm standing on holy ground here, as I'm uh, looking at this passage in front of me, no other text in Matthew so far, in my personal preparation, and has moved me so much, as much as this passage. A very familiar passage, but for the reasons beyond my understanding, and in keeping with the Lord's sovereign purposes, uh, this text uh, has... Moved me and crushed me. I I pray that God would um, help all of us to see the magnitude of our Lord's suffering as he went through this for us. From here on, the rest of Matthew 27, it gets uh, worse in one sense. But also it gets glorious in another sense. He had to go through that so that you and I could have this hope could have this uh, joy in the midst of even the deepest of pains. title of uh, this uh, message today is uh, Stand Firm Even When Things Get Tough. Stand Firm Even When Things Get Tough. Let me read the entire text and pray. I look at what the Spirit has to say to us. Matthew 27 and verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest or jealousy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Verse 19, While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him the message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Bruised and beaten, suffered and bled, and yet to reconcile the very ones who nailed you to the cross. Lord Jesus, I am one of those who was there shouting, Crucify. How can mere words ever do justice or even come close to doing justice to the magnitude of what you went through for me and for all of us? I pray that you will be heard through the working of your spirit today. And I, along with all the people here, would come under a tremendous conviction as well as great assurance and joy for the great compassion you show to sinners like us who still fail to revere you, to honor you, to fear you and yet at the same time to also have that peace that your spirit gives knowing that We belong to you. Lord, my prayer is, again, if anybody here is far away from you, help them to see you, Jesus, despised and rejected for their sake, that they would not wait one single moment, even while the word is being preached, your spirit will grab their heart and open their eyes to see your glories and they may fall on their knees and say, Lord Jesus, Save me. Please do that work through your spirit. For your name's sake I pray. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul, while encouraging Timothy to stand firm for the gospel, in 1 Timothy 6 verses 12 through 14 said these words, familiar words, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is calling young Timothy to fight the good fight meaning to stand firm to the very end. Don't turn your back. Stand firm to the very end. He motivates him By using Jesus as an example, especially how firm Jesus stood as he made the good confession before Pilate. And what's the good confession? The truth that, yes, I am the Messiah, the King. That confession cost Jesus' life. That led him to be crucified. If he said, I'm not the Messiah, Pilate would have let him off the hook. He made the good confession knowing he would die. Paul uses that as a motivation to say, just as you, Timothy, made your good confession, maybe referring back to his baptism, or when he was called to leadership, or a combination of those, Paul tells, Timothy, look back. Don't be a liar. You made that good confession. You will follow Jesus no matter the price, no matter the cost. Press on. Press on. Continue to keep that good confession. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what. And this passage we have in front of us talks about the confession, good confession Jesus made before Pilate. And I pray this will motivate us to stand firm even when things get tough. Because Jesus is worthy. That's the only reason. Even if Jesus was to cast us to hell, let's assume for a moment we follow Jesus. We think I'm following Jesus because he's going to take me into heaven, which is true. But even should we be cast into hell, he is still worthy to be followed because of who he is. Not just what we get. Heaven is just a side benefit really following Jesus is because he is worthy and this passage I hope brings out what he did for you what he did for me this passage is an important passage that's why all four gospel writers give this record each in their own ways Matthew and Mark give a condensed version Luke and John give a more expanded version so we'll reference these other gospel writers as needed. And as I've said before, if four gospel writers record something, then it's important. Even if something is said in the Bible once, it is important. But when it's four times, we better pay close attention. And since Paul references this to encourage Timothy to continue running the race, I think that also adds a little more incentive for us to pay attention to this passage a little recap as to where we are in the gospel of Matthew Jesus trial at the hands of the Jewish council is over and their verdict Matthew 26 verse 66 he is worthy of death but since the Jews did not have the authority to execute anyone they could not exercise capital punishment so they bring him to Rome authority of Rome Pilate was the highest authority in Judea as the governor so they bring him uh, to him but before they bring him They physically abused Jesus, which was no need at all. And they shouldn't have done that, by the way. Matthew 26, verse 67 talks about slapping Jesus, striking him with their fists. So it's likely, here's Jesus standing before Pilate, already bleeding, already bruised. That's where we pick up, This from verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, what made Pilate ask that question? Matthew doesn't give us that answer, but Luke does. In Luke 23, verse 2, this is what the charge that the religious leaders bring before Pilate as they got Jesus there. They say, We, that is the religious leaders, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. You see, Rome didn't care about any religious, uh, breaking of any religious rules and things like that. All Rome cared about was, is he is a, is a person guilty of doing something that is a threat to Roman authority. So they come and they say, this man opposes paying taxes. That's number one charge. Number two, he also pretends to be a king a threat to Caesar. So they bring that as the charge to get. And those are charges. If they stick, a person would be executed. So that's the charge they're bringing here. But the later part of the story clearly reveals to us, Pilate didn't buy that for one second. He didn't believe Jesus was guilty. Here he's seeing Jesus beaten up. And that he's a threat to Rome. But it was still his duty to protect the interests of Rome because none could pose a threat to Caesar. So that's why Pilate asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? This is a critical question. The answer to this would determine Jesus' fate. Here's where he makes the good confession. Second part of verse 11. You have said so, Jesus replied. It's an affirmation. Meaning the answer is yes. This is the third time Jesus is using this phrase you have said so. Earlier in Matthew 26 verse 64 he said the same thing when Caiaphas asked him are you the Messiah? Yes, you have said so. Basically, you have said so. Yes, you are right. You with your own mouth are confessing the truth. Earlier in Matthew 26 verse 25 when Jesus said one of you will betray me Judas asked him is it me? And Jesus said you have said so. You have said so. this is a clear affirmation there's no doubt as to the minds of Pilate and the surrounding people what that meant. He stood firm, even when things got tough and would get even more tougher. Meanwhile, the religious leaders they continue to accuse Jesus. they want to make sure that they get rid of him, but notice his response, verse 12. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. So they're piling up one charge after another. Pilate knew Jesus was not guilty. He knew the charges brought by these leaders were false. Think about it. Pilate's the most powerful authority there. Three plus years, Jesus has been doing a lot of miracles. He's been causing a stir. Pilate would have known about him. He would have known, this man is not causing any confusion. He's only doing good. Okay, Pilate would have been familiar with that. the same hand. Pilate also knew something about the religious leaders. History tells us, Pilate and the religious leaders were always in conflict. He did things that upset them, and Judea was always known for their rebellion against Rome. So there was always that conflict going on. So he gives Jesus the opportunity to defend himself. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony, the, witnesses, the witnessing these people are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Well, Matthew does not mention. John in his gospel mentions a brief interaction between Pilate and Jesus. I think it would benefit you if you want to turn with me to John chapter 18. Do you write two books? Or you can just listen to me as I'm uh, talking. John chapter 18. We're going to pick it up from verses 33 on. It's page 1542 in the church Bibles here. John 18 verse 33. So Pilate is uh, going back inside the palace, summoning Jesus and asking him, Are you the king of the Jews? So notice what Jesus says. Is that your own idea? Jesus has. Or did others talk to you about me? Are you being talked into this? Do you really think or are others? Because the preceding verses talk about the Jewish leaders using that to get Jesus executed as a false charge. Verse 35. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus' response, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders but now my kingdom is from another place you are a king then said Pilate Jesus answered you say that I am a king again you say you're yes you're right in fact the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth everyone on the side of truth listens to me Pilate asked this question that's echoed ages since then What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Come back to Matthew. Come back to Matthew. It is at this point, after this brief interaction with Pilate, Jesus remained silent. I've spoken the truth. It's up to you, Pilate. You know the truth, Pilate you know it's up to you to make a choice. Up to you to make a choice. So Pilate is now astounded. Accusation after accusation because these religious leaders kept piling it. Usually, Pilate would have been used to people, especially when they're uh, condemned. And even if there's a Genuine charge: what do people typically do i 'm not guilty, I'm not guilty. But Pilate knew Jesus is innocent, so he would have expected Jesus to keep screaming and saying i 'm innocent, I 'm innocent of these charges, but there is this holy, majestic, powerful silence. In that silence, Jesus is speaking volumes. It 's a silence. Pilate is convinced that Jesus is innocent. But instead of boldly doing the right thing, which is to release Jesus, notice what he did. He used a common custom of the day to try and get Jesus released. Look at verses 15 through 18. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. Pilate was doing that to maintain a friendly relationship with the people. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. word Barabbas means, interestingly, son of the father. Keep that in mind. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas, because Jesus was a common name. Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus who is called the Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate knew the leaders were threatened by Jesus' popularity. They were losing their power and influence over the people. That's why he knew they made these false charges. He knew it was out of self-interest, protecting their own reputation, their own popularity or jealousy. They handed Jesus to him. Let me take a couple of minutes here as a side note to warn you about the dangers of jealousy. It's an age-old sin that started right from creation. Satan was jealous of the Father ruling all. And you know what that did to him? Cain, the first one to be born in the natural way of Adam and Eve, was out of jealousy. He killed his brother Abel. It was jealousy that led Korah, Dathan and Abiram and 250 people to death because they were jealous of Aaron and Moses who were called to lead the nation. It was jealousy that caused Saul to try and get David killed Because David was increasing in popularity. And it was that same deadly sin that led Jesus to be executed. Later on, these same religious leaders would be jealous of the apostles because they were gaining in popularity. No wonder Solomon described the deadly power of jealousy with these words Proverbs 14, the second part of verse 30. I'm quoting the New Living Translation. It says, Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Cancer in the bones. Eats you up. Later Solomon says in Proverbs 27 verse 4, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Requires an answer of none. Nobody can stand before jealousy. These religious leaders, from the get-go they were jealous of Jesus. They first were verbally attacking him behind his back, then to his face. Remember, he does all these miracles through the power of Beelzebub. This man eats and drinks with sinners. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. And then it increased to the point of wanting him killed. That's what jealousy does. It starts with us having a little resentment in our hearts. Then slowly starting to make negative comments about the person. And eventually you can see nothing good in that person. And if the law permits, we would want to physically put them away. But because the law does not permit, it just breeds, breeds, breeds on the inside like cancer in the bones. That is why this sin must be dealt with swiftly and quickly. No, there's no there's no half-measures. Radically, it has to be eliminated. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be done. It must be pulled from the roots. Stop comparing your life with others. Be thankful and content for what you have. That's one of the best ways to kill jealousy. Why do you think teenagers, young people, are fighting with so much anxiety, depression, and all kinds of issues? It's this comparison. How am I perceived in comparison to others? Another way to kill jealousy is to genuinely start praying for the people you are jealous about. I tell you, you cannot pray for a person and get jealous at the same time. So, remember, it's this deadly sin that got the son of God himself crucified. Don't take it lightly. Back to Matthew. So, Pilate knows now jealousy is the reason these leaders were trying to kill Jesus. So he offers them a trade. And what's the trade? Who do, you want to set, who do you want me to set free? Jesus, the Messiah, the one who healed many and never hurt anyone, or Barabbas, the one who was guilty of insurrection and murder. Pilate was almost certain they'll pick, release Jesus. But before we see the crowd's response, notice what else Matthew tells us, verses, verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Was it God who gave this dream to Pilate's wife? text doesn't say. But considering the fact that God is sovereign over all events, God was using even this dream as another nudge to Pilate. Pilate, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Romans Very superstitious people. Unfortunately, as we read further, Pilate doesn't heed to that warning either. But look at the crowd's response to Pilate's offer. So one thing that Pilate had underestimated from the get-go is how influential these leaders were in persuading the crowd. Look at verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. They anticipated every opposition. Pilate was up against a force that required either he radically commits to the truth or not. So the crowd, crowd are already influenced. It's a mob. You know how it's easy to feed the frenzy of a mob. That's what is happening here. They persuaded. But Pilate once again repeats the offer that he made earlier from verse 18. Which of, the, which of the two do you want me to release to you as the governor? They already gave their answer. But notice again, Barabbas, they answered. No hesitation whatsoever. They chose Bar- <clears throat> Barabbas, the son of the father, small s, small f, in exchange To Jesus, the son of the father. What a sad exchange. It reminds you of Romans one twenty three. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for a mere mortal. In this case, a hardened criminal. Fatal exchange. A shocked and confused Pilate went on to pose yet another question. Pilate can still not get over this. Verse 22, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked, what shall I do? What do you want me to do? So he's throwing the ball back to their court. That's what he's doing. They all answered with one voice, one accord, of one mind. Crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. The worst possible way, this man must die. Pilate again is confounded. He cannot believe what he is hearing. So he makes yet another appeal to him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Think about this, just five days ago. This is Friday morning. Early morning. Five days ago. What we call as Palm Sunday. Matthew 21.19 this is how the crowds responded to Jesus as he entered Jerusalem the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted Hosanna to the son of David Hosanna means save and save now son of David has the idea you're the Messiah from the Davidic line you're the king save us O king blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest heaven but now five days later The same crowds are shouting crucify him. Why? You did not meet our expectations. You did not turn out to be the Messiah we wanted. Jesus, you're not the one that I expected. You didn't fix my life. It's broken even more now. I want to get rid of you, my life. A lot of people do that. They make all these promises at baptism. I'll follow you. Even if it costs me my life. A little thing happens. I need to get out of this. When persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. Seed sown on the thorns. Because of the word. Because of the word. Bloodthirsty mob. How fickle are the praises of men. That's why don't live for the praises of mere mortals. Think about marriages. The day of the wedding, all those vows are made. The same people, sometimes months or years later, become sworn enemies. That's how fickle human opinions are. Doesn't mean we don't care about people's opinions, but we don't live for the praises of people. That's the idea. No wonder John earlier told us in Jesus' ministry that Jesus never got carried away with people because he knew what was in their hearts. John chapter 2 verse 25. Lesson for us. Again, you live for people's praises, you're going to be disappointed sooner or later. He who lives for the praise of people will also die by the criticisms of the same people. Live For the approval of one audience. One audience. God. He's unseen. And your praise will come only when we, yours and mine will come only when we see him face to face on that day. So Pilate finally gave up trying to persuade Jesus. So he did what's now become a symbolic expression even to this day when someone does not want to take responsibility for their actions. Look at verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he didn't want a riot. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. Judas earlier tried to wash his hands off of his wicked act by returning the 30 pieces. The leaders tried to wash their hands off this crime by not using that money for temple purposes, but just by buying a graveyard. Herod, there was an interchange between Herod and Jesus during this trial that Matthew does not record. We'll look at that in a moment. Herod washes his hands off. He sends him back to Pilate. Pilate's now washing his hands off. But in the end, all were guilty. All were guilty. Notice, notice the wicked behavior of the crowd. How they react to Pilate when Pilate prays the responsibility on them, verse 25, all the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. Sometimes, if, if you're sitting here as a parent, and your child is ill, you know, when we pray to God, we sometimes even say, we don't think a whole lot, but we say, God, why my child? Heal my child. Let me take that sickness. You empathize with your child so deeply. These people are doing the exact opposite. Your curse be on us and our children. Later in Acts 5.29, these same leaders will turn around and tell the apostles, you're making us guilty of this man's blood. They flip the switch again. But just think about the hard heart, bloodthirsty crowd. They want blood. They're smelling blood for the one who did no harm to them. Their hatred for Jesus blinded them from realizing the magnitude of their words. His blood is or be upon us and our children. What shocking words. You see how far down the destructive path can bitterness and hatred in the heart lead a person to. That's the root cause there. Envy, jealousy. No matter what price I have to pay, I need to get rid of this person. I cannot stand this person doing better than me. And that's what parents do sometimes to children, to influence them. Live with this kind of an attitude. Shocking. Sometimes even professing to be Christians for years together. No wonder Peter on the day of Pentecost, as he called the people to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus, made this passionate plea to the, to the group, save yourselves from this corrupt generation, meaning the generation that took responsibility of killing Jesus the Messiah because that generation will be judged. And guess what? That generation was judged AD 70 when Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem. You took responsibility? Fine. Here's judgment. Knowing nothing now could be done to save Jesus, Pilate caved into their requests and did three things. Verse 26. Number one, he first released Barabbas to them. Here's the exchange, folks. Guilty, set free in the place of the innocent. Technically, Jesus took the place of Barabbas. But we know by extension, we are the Barabbases too. Second year, Jesus flogged. There was no reason. Notice that text there. But he had Jesus flogged. The but tells us that was no need. That was not a need at all to have him flogged. Now why? Why would he put Jesus through this vicious thing? A flog those days. It's like a small wooden handle. It's about 12 inches or so. At the end of one end, they got all these leather strips tied together. And the leather strips would be embedded with pieces of metal like bones or nails and also uh, it would have other sharp objects all this are embedded into that little small tiny stones so when a person was whipped it would take the flesh of their back it would reveal the insides of a person's body sometimes people would actually die by that flogging now why did Pilate do that, since he already declared Jesus to be innocent, perhaps two reasons, cannot be definitive okay, so I'm just throwing it out as a couple of options, given the fickle nature of Pilate, one perhaps he's hoping, if they, if I flog him, maybe their mind will be changed and they'll let him go or two, perhaps you flog him, he'll become even more weak his death would be quicker speculations no more than that But that does not excuse Pilate from being guilty of this wicked act. But God was still in control. Even this act did not happen outside God's sovereign will. How so? Because even in this flogging, we see a fulfillment of another Old Testament prophecy. You don't need to turn to it, just listen. Isaiah 53 verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, referring to this, he was healed or by his stripes, by his wounds. This is how Jesus got those wounds. It refers to the physical healing that will come later in the new body but it refers to the spiritual healing that every believer can experience in the here and now when they put their faith in Christ. Our spiritual healing. The price for the forgiveness of our sins came because Jesus suffered. Part of that suffering included this flogging. And notice the third thing Pilate did, last part of verse 26. He handed Jesus over to be crucified. This again, God clearly predicted, didn't he? Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. When Isaiah wrote that crucifixion was not even invented, it came later. Isaiah predicts this is how the Messiah would die. Psalm 22. David predicted even earlier than that. The Greeks started working through this and by Isaiah's time, it was just coming into picture, so to speak. But he predicts this is what's going to happen. And that's exactly what's going to happen the next stage. Jesus flogged fulfillment of prophecy to be crucified in a matter of minutes. It's a sad portion of scripture verses 11 through 26 because in this section we see two kinds of sinful hearts two kinds of sinful hearts but this is also a shining section in all of the bible because we see the heart of Jesus so we're going to look at as application three hearts where do you where do I fit or want to fit is the question that we need to wrestle with for our own lives Number one, I see Pilate, the man with what I call a divided heart. The man with a divided heart. Pilate represents all who deep inside want to do the right thing for Jesus, but end up compromising in the end. Why? Because doing the right thing often comes at a high cost. They are unwilling to pay the price. Let me elaborate. Throughout this passage, we read, Pilate saying Jesus is innocent. Not just here. I'm going to reference some other passages also. Luke and John tell us, not once, not twice, but three times, Pilate publicly acknowledges Jesus is innocent. Just go with me to John chapter 18. Back to the chapter 18 of John. This time we're going to look at verse 38. Page 1542. John chapter 18. Look at verse 38. Here's the first pronouncement from Pilate's lips what is truth retorted Pilate with this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said I find no basis for a charge against him number one. one first, first time he acknowledges then look at chapter 19 and verse 4 once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there look I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him second acknowledgement And look at verse 6. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Three times, I find no basis for a charge against him. Yet, he did not have the courage to release Jesus. He was the most powerful man in Judea. Instead of releasing Jesus, he took four half measures four half measures half measure number one you're in John go to Luke chapter 23 just the previous book turn to your left Luke 23 verses 7 through 12 page 1504 so Pilate learns now that he is from Galilee so he sends him to Herod Herod was the most powerful of the Galilean authority he was the most powerful so he sends him to Herod hoping Herod would take care of the problem. Verse 7, when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe, They sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. So he sends him. I wash my hands off in a way. Pilate, I mean, Herod will handle it. Half measure number one. Didn't work. Herod Herod sends him back. Half measure number two. He offers them a trade-off. Barabbas or Jesus. Hoping they would pick Barabbas. That didn't work. Half measure number three. He worked on their emotions to get Jesus flogged. Hey, look at this man now. He's weak. Is he really a threat to you? That didn't work. But notice John tells us more. Go back to John, verse 19, chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. And went up to him again and again saying, Hail King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. All this is being done to work on the emotions of the crowd. Maybe they'll back off. That purple robe, don't think it's some kind of like a silky robe that we wear. It was made of coarse hair. The back is ripped. And that coat is put on him. It would rip the flesh even more. That's what he went through for you and me. Soldiers continue the mockery and then Pilate tells them. Verse 4, we already read. Look at verse 5. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, Here is the man, or behold, the man. Not the king, the man, working on their emotions. Why did Pilate do all this? Hoping to persuade the crowd to withdraw the charges instead of doing the right thing. It failed. Then, half measure number four, he takes water, washes his hands off. Symbolic. It's your responsibility. Herod didn't work. Barabbas didn't work. Flogging didn't work. Washing the hands didn't work. Maybe he went home that day convincing his accusing conscience, you did the best you could. Don't beat yourself up. Sometimes in life these things happen. You cannot always obey. God knows. He's a forgiving God. After all, he specializes in that. Perhaps even Tom's wife said, I warned you. No, no, you don't understand. I did the best I could. I did the best I could. I did the best I could. After a while, his conscience would have stopped accusing him you know why he hesitated to do the right thing? John 19 gives us a clue. It's because he loved his position as the governor. He didn't want to let go of that position. And the Jewish leaders knew very well. That's why they manipulate the situation. Look at verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Not only will you lose your position, Pilate, You could get yourself killed. They knew that. They were manipulating him. Pilate was power hungry. He wanted his position. That position in that company. In that society. That's what I want. I will do whatever it takes to get that. I will sacrifice Jesus on the altar. To fulfill my lust for that. My craving for that. They knew that. Satan knows where to press. The Jewish leaders pressed hard knowing that Pilate would eventually give in. In other words, you release Jesus, Pilate, you're an enemy of Caesar. They kept shouting. Luke 23, verse 23. Luke tells us, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And then this is what we read. Their shouts prevailed. Their shouts prevailed. Mark tells us, it was to, in Mark chapter 15, verse 15, Pilate did this to satisfy the crowds. He released Barabbas to them. I tell you, half-minded people will never do the right thing. They will let the voices of others quench their already divided conscience and ultimately cave in. They will turn their backs on Jesus sooner or later because they they are people who please themselves, try to people Try to please others, not God-pleasers. That's the danger. We cannot remain neutral when it comes to Jesus. You cannot. Either we are for him or against him. Those who try to be neutral sooner or later end up denying him. They'll walk away. After a while, they'll get tired of the pretending. They'll walk away. A divided heart will refuse to pray the price when it matters. Judas sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. Pilate sold his soul for a prestigious position. What about you? Is there a price you feel is too high to follow Jesus? Before you quickly answer that and say, no, there is no price. Think about the decisions you make in your everyday life. When it, especially when things get tough. Maybe it's the voice from your sinful nature, voice from your spouse, your children, your boss, your co-worker, your friends. Whoever it is, do you allow their voices to prevail, especially when their voice contradicts the voice of God as revealed in the Word of God? If you're doing that, that's your habit. You're in the camp of Pilate. I'm in the camp of Pilate, a man or a woman with a divided heart. Maybe you want to follow Jesus, just not a Christian. You want to follow Jesus, but you care so much about others and you say, You're afraid. You're letting others dictate the consequences of following Jesus. You say, I lose my freedom if I come to Jesus because I lose my relationships. What freedom do you have? Because you're focused on them. If they are to leave you because you follow Jesus, you're already a slave to their opinions. You're a person with a divided heart. Stop and think, where will those people whom you are so desperately seeking to please be on judgment day, not to defend you? They'll have their hands full answering for their own sins. I tell you, only one man can save you on that day. The God-man Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of the Father of all the universe. So make a choice this day. Either you are for Jesus or against Him. No half measures, no Divided heart. A second thing that I see in this passage is the heart of the leaders and the crowd and I want to call their hearts as a depraved hearts. Pilate was divided. Depraved. They both end up in the same way because depravity is a part of uh, de- de- uh, being divided in heart is a part of being depraved. But notice how depraved these people were. It was was only one thing that they wanted get Jesus out of this earth. The same Jesus who did nothing but good, casting out demons, healing people, providing bread for them, teaching them good things. We don't care, we need to get rid of him, even if this brings a curse on us and our children. Their blind hatred. Notice what else they did. Very important. John chapter 19, verse 15. Very important because this text does not explain why this is a bad this is such an evil thing in John 19 the second part of verse 15 after they cry out crucify, crucify Pilate asked shall I crucify your king? notice their response we have no king but Caesar the chief priest answered you know something the Jews hated to be under the authority of Rome but now they acknowledge Caesar is our only king but that's not the main point The Jews had a custom, even now they have a custom of pronouncing 18 benedictions facing Jerusalem on Sabbath days and other holy days. This is Passover time. One of the benedictions, the 11th of the 18th benediction is this. They would cite Isaiah 26 verse 13, I'll read that in a moment, to celebrate God and his kingship over them. This is what Isaiah 26 verse 13 says, Lord our God, Yahweh our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They cite that benediction, and here they come and say, we have no king but Caesar. You see the magnitude of a heart that is given to sin? We have no king but Caesar. And we enjoy being under that kingship is what they're saying, they're celebrating they chose to honor a mere mortal Caesar and sold out the immortal and life giving the real king Jesus again a tragic exchange a divided heart a depraved heart these are the sad parts of this passage but I also mentioned to you about a shining portion and that's that's the heart of Jesus describing that as his determined heart determined heart he never spoke a word to Herod when Pilate sent him there yes he spoke a few words to Pilate but after that he remained silent. A, silent a silence that astonished the most powerful man in Judea why silent? because Jesus in his heart had surrendered to the will of the Father that's why at Gethsemane the battle was won not my will but yours be done He had asked the father, can this cup be removed? Father said, no son, you have to drink it. I will father. He is silent. Never once did he waver. In all this abuse, a majestic and glorious silence that shines so brightly. The backdrop of all this wickedness. This silence too was a fulfillment of another prophecy. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Everything is happening according to God's timetable. But look at the determined heart of Jesus. Made the good confession. Isaiah went on to say by oppression and judgment he was taken away yet who of his generation protested all of the generation only screamed for his blood majority for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was punished people were calling for his blood all these voices are there Jesus is hearing only one voice fulfill the duty That your father has given to you. Take it all, quietly. Don't retaliate, my son. Take it all. Give your life for those very people who are nailing you to the cross. Reconcile those very ones who will be nailing you shortly. Take it. Take it in all silence. Let's look at this bleeding. Bruised and despite Jesus. Let's marvel forever at this silence as he takes abuse upon abuse. All for your sin and mine. He did not just trade places with Barabbas. He traded places with you and with me. In my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. That's why we sing So the choice for us on a daily basis is this. Will we choose to follow this Jesus, the one who underwent such suffering, such shame, and yet took it all in silence, no matter the cost? Or will we respond like a pilot with a divided heart? Or like the mob led by those wicked leaders, total depravity, Jesus made that good confession before Pilate. No going back. There's no turning back from the cross. That's why we sing, No turning back. No turning back. Completely yielding to his will in our lives. Often we strive so much to get our way or even defend ourselves in our relationships with others, be it our spouse or children or others. Let's learn from Jesus to stop speaking. So much and insisting on being justified and being accepted. Yes, speak the truth. But after a while, let the Lord work in people's hearts. Submit to his sovereign will. He puts that puts you in a place of rejection. Take it. I'm not talking about abuse here, so I hope you understand. I'm talking about a lot of times, it's our ego that is hurt. How can a living man complain when punished for his sins? Lamentations 3, Jeremiah said, Cry to the Lord. Yes, you can share with others for prayer and counsel and all that but I tell you we're not called to maintain a cruel silence with bitterness in the heart but a silence that asks God for strength at that time and a silence that keeps praying for that very person who's inflicting so much pain on you. The believer's life is a life of rejection. Jesus told us clearly But we're not alone. Not even for one second. The indwelling spirit is always with us. Strengthening us. Guiding us. Comforting us. It will. It will end well. For all those who yield to the will of God. Jesus was silent here because he knew it would end well. The glory followed the cross. And that's exactly what happened. Same thing for you and me. Suffering now. Glory later. But in the meanwhile... He is with us. Walking this journey with us. Still wiping the tears from our eyes until one day He will fully eliminate the reason for any and every tear. What's a few years of suffering worth comparing to eternal glory that awaits those who are willing to yield to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit? We'll be worshipping Him for all eternity. Is Jesus not Worthy. I hope, I pray, your heart would say, along with me, yes, he is worthy. This battered, bleeding, silent, and despised Jesus, all, who did all this for me, a wretched sinner, is indeed worthy. Let's pray. Lord, take this small offering that you enabled me to give to you by working through this passage to help us see your glory even in this state in fact we really want to see your glory in this state because you were shining brightly in that magnificent silence For me. For my brothers and sisters here. And for all others whom you will call to yourself. In the future. Lord, in the light of that, help us to be yielded to your will. Jesus, help us to follow in your footsteps. They're hard. And we often follow in the footsteps of Pilate divided even like the mob when we reject your word we are saying it doesn't matter his crucifixion because I want what I want and I want to have it forgive us for those times when we willfully blatantly shake our fist against you claiming our best interests humble us but above all, help us to see our obedience is for one and one reason only. You, Jesus, battered, bruised, despised, is worthy. And we long for you to come in all your glory. And as we see the scars from that suffering, may we marvel for all eternity. How great you are. Lord help us. Your name I pray Jesus. Amen.